0: Press stains. I do not know how others make it through who do not go to pains were made there just for me. For all my sin, my sickness, and my pain, when I need healing, I claim those precious bloodstains. I claim shed on calvary those precious blood stains were made
1: Well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the Book of First Thessalonians, Chapter Four. That's kind of where we're going to kick off this <clears throat> portion of this uh, series. We've actually we've had a series going here. It's just uh, Bible truths, and we've been addressing some issues. <clears throat> we talked about uh, Christ and prophecy. We've been dealing again with. Um, the second coming, and uh, so we're kind of still in that one, and uh, boy, my voice just got bad all of a sudden, just about about, uh, 30, 40 seconds ago, it started giving me trouble, and I don't know what just happened, it's the devil, I guess. So anyway, let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer, and we'll jump back into this again, We've been dealing with a number of things. We've been talking a lot about what the prophets saw versus what they didn't see. We talk about the fact that uh, the religious leaders of that day, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ because they did not realize there would be a second coming. All they could tell is there'd be a first coming. And so when Christ came, they anticipated and expected Him to establish His kingdom, to ultimately elevate Israel to its height and to take his place on the throne of David and to rule and reign. Well, obviously, they missed uh, something along the way. They missed the fact that the prophecies pointed to a second coming. Now, we are an advantage versus them in that we can look at those prophecies that applied to the first coming and realize that the rest apply to a second coming. Again, we have hindsight, and hindsight is always 20-20, they say. And so as a result of that, it's uh, easier for us to note that. Now, Again, we talked to him very briefly about the fact and made the point that, uh, you know, the first coming of Christ uh, brought redemption to us. And of course, that's a very important truth, and it's absolutely essential in our lives, and it brings us great joy to know that our souls have been saved, that Christ took our place and paid in our stead the price of sin. But there's even a bigger day on God's calendar, and that bigger day is the second coming, why? Because again, that's the time when Christ will be placed on the throne of David to rule and to reign where he rightly deserves. And so we see that there's something a little bit bigger even ahead. As much as it's important as you and I are and as necessary and needful as the blood of Jesus Christ was, the fact is, is that that wasn't the best day on God's calendar to watch his son be crucified, die, and be broken. He looks much forward to the day when he can see his son ruling and reigning on the throne of David and being bowed to and rightly, uh, <clears throat> rightly adored and uh, worshipped as he deserves. And so nonetheless, we recognize that we've talked about those things. So we're talking about the second coming now. And so we've talked about the fact of his coming already. We've seen the testimony of Christ and the apostles. We spoke about the time of his coming. We said that it's premillennial, that means that it's before the millennium, and we talked about why it is before the millennium. Now tonight, I want to touch on this issue, the manner of his coming, and so we're going to look a little bit at that as we move along. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. We're asking you to speak to us as we consider this topic of the second coming, and Lord, we pray that you would just give us insight into your word that we might be inspired and ultimately encouraged to live more Christ-like in the days ahead. Again, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and we give to you the glory and the honor. You're so worthy of it. And so, Lord, we ask for your leadership. We pray for your filling. And we ask, Lord, that you would just anoint our ears, and in my case, my lips, and help me, Father, to be a blessing to your people tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I told you to go to First Thessalonians chapter 4. I think I'm going to change that, go to Acts chapter 1, just seeing if you knew where it was. We'll get there in just a few moments, but I was just the trial error there. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. If you're still looking for 1 Thessalonians 4, then you probably need to read your Bible a little more. But if you found it in the time that we spent reviewing, then you probably are okay. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ is going to ascend, and he does. He ascends, and those angelic beings, or those men, as the Bible calls them, are standing there. Now, we talked about who those men might be. We said they possibly could be Elijah and Moses, and it sure seems to make sense as you look through the Word of God and you look at other instances where men were utilized to give messages and in this particular case here's the message they said which also said ye men of Galilee why stand ye gazing up into heaven this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven so we learn a couple things about the second coming of Jesus Christ even from this passage we learn that he will come in the clouds he'll come in the clouds now in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 the Bible makes this statement. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, it says. Now, again, he's going to come in the clouds. We learned that he will come. And in this particular case, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, we recognize the fact that his, his people, of course, are going to recognize his nail-print hands. They're going to see him. Finally, every eye shall see him, every eye, but, and they also which pierced him. And of course, we know that uh, we're going to see that uh, the Jewish people there and all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. He's coming back, and he's coming back in the clouds. And then he's going to also come as a king. He's going to come as a king. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 27, you can turn there. That'll be a good, good exercise in moving around in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Let's see if I beat you there. I'm getting there. Maybe if you're there, you've done better than me tonight. 16, verse 27. Notice what the Bible says here. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come as a king. He's also going to come in two stages. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. And this is where we we kind of want to make sure we make the distinction. And then we'll be able to identify this first part of the second coming. Now, I have in my hand a quarter here. And if I look at this quarter, there's a head side and then there's a tail side, we often call it. Now, if you had flipped this coin and, you know, you do heads or tails, remember how you do that? Well, the truth is, is that there's the head side, there's the tail side, but it's one coin. There's two sides to this one coin. There are two parts to this second coming. Just like this coin is one coin with two sides, the second coming of Christ is one coming with two parts, if you will. And that's, again, why it was so tricky for the disciples, I should I say, for the the Old Testament saints, to recognize Christ when he came because they were looking at the wrong side of the coin. And they said, it don't look like him. Now, this isn't who Jesus is supposed to be. This isn't who the uh, the Messiah is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a king, but he didn't come as a king the first time. They failed to see the other side of the coin. Now, we have the privilege, as we said, and the opportunity to see that there was a difference. But now we're going to the second coming. They saw the first coming. They said, uh-uh, don't look right. That's right, because there's a second coming. But now that second coming is going to be broke down into two parts. And we have to distinguish between the first and the second part. So they had to distinguish between the first coming and the second coming. We have to distinguish between the two parts of the second coming now. And so we're going to look tonight primarily at that first portion, which is often referred to as the rapture. It's a catching away, if you will, and that's what we're going to look at, versus what's called the revelation when Christ returns. So we have him returning in the air, the rapture, we have him returning to the earth, the revelation. We're going to focus on this, the rapture portion. Now, we need to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. See, we're going to get there, right? See, some of you didn't go there. You're probably sneaky. You stayed there, and you thought, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cruise through this first part, and I'll already be there, and I'm going to look like a whiz kid. The rest of us are turning, and you're sitting, relaxing, checking your messages on your phone. First, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 15. <clears throat> For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. And that's always a good thing. Speak according to the word of the Lord. That's good. So this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. What he's saying basically is we're talking to you with authority now. Because it's not in our own word or our own thoughts or our own ideas. It's the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now we see two aspects of this stage of the second coming here. And we see it referred to in this passage. First, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Those that are dead in Christ are resurrected. We see that here in in the particular passage, and he says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Remember, we don't prevent them. We don't give before them. They go before us. But it happens so awfully fast that you're not going to be able to make that distinction except for the fact that he tells us, the distinction is the dead rise, then we are caught up. Because that's the second part of the passage. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So we have these that are resurrected from the dead. And then there's those that are translated. The, the, the translation of the living saints. You and I will be translated. And we're going to note that. Now Jesus, he hinted at this translation. He talked about this twofold character of the rapture while he was speaking a particular lady by the name of Martha. Remember who Martha was, who her brother was? Her brother, again, was Lazarus. We remember Lazarus. He's the one ultimately that is going to be brought back to life by Jesus Christ. He says says to her, look if you would in John chapter 11. This is really good. And again, we're talking about these, these two aspects of this rapture, this catching out. We're going to see, of course, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. We're going to see the translation of the living saints. And Jesus here points to this twofold character of the rapture when he speaks to Martha about raising her brother Lazarus. In chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, he says to her, I am. That's interesting right there, isn't it? I am. That, that's good right there. If you go back to the Old Testament, you run on back there where he's dealing with Israel in the land of Egypt, he says, Tell him, I am sent you. Isn't that good? And so here he is, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I like that. I am, that's really good, Jesus. Thank you for clarifying that you are God indeed. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth And believeth in me shall never die. Now, I want you to notice, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Guess what? Dead, and yet shall he live. That's the first resurrection saint. You see that? Those are those that are dead and are going to live there. Notice he now hints to the next group, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Those people, they're alive when he comes back. We see it noted here in Jesus' words to Martha as he speaks about Lazarus. So we note these two groups in this, this stage of the second coming, this rapture stage, if you will. The resurrection of the dead in Christ, the translation of the living saints. And we see Jesus alluding to it here in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Also, we note Paul. He addresses this twofold character of the rapture as well. Look in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. We're going to read through verse 57. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 51. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Paul again is going to address this twofold character of the rapture. Now remember, we're talking about the second coming, but we're addressing that first stage in the second coming, which is the rapture, the catching out. Okay, now watch what happens. There's two groups that are going to go up. There's going to be those that are dead in Christ, and then there's those that are alive and remain. And notice what he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now remember, if you would correctly, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, he uses the term sleep often. Remember that? He talks about sleep. And, 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 and so now he utilizes the word again. In this particular case, he just, right off the bat, we shall not all sleep. He's not talking about tonight when you go home, you're not sleeping. He's talking about the fact that your body will be dead Asleep because you're still alive, but your body is dead in the grave. You're still alive though, see? So you're not dead, you're sleeping. And that's how the Lord Jesus refers to us in that state. When you die, He says you're asleep. Not that you're unconscious, not that you have no understanding of what's going on around you. There are those that try to consider this soul sleep, which means that you have no consciousness. But my friend, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can take a few things out of the Bible and we can make it say anything we want. But it's still there, so I guess we'll leave it in. And we'll just assume that God is always right. Because once again, just like the Bible says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. If the word of the Lord says it, then it's true. So when you die, you will be in the presence of God. You will be taken from this body and you'll be entering into his presence to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But you got a sleeping body there. Because there's coming a day when that body will be resurrected and woke up again. But anyway, look at what it says. Behold, I show you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, you could be sleeping maybe, you're dead, or you're not dead. But either way, we're all going to be changed. Everybody's going to be changed in a moment In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now again, I want you to note for this corruptible, that refers to the dead in Christ. That body is corrupted. It goes into a grave and it is corrupted. Must put on incorruption. A new body that is no longer corrupted but incorruptible. Now we have this mortal. That's who you and I are now. We are mortals. We are alive. Our body's alive even. We are mortals. We are the living saints. We have to put on immortality. So now where we are going to die at one point, we are no longer going to die because we're going from mortal to immortal. See, everybody's being changed. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall put, have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy Victory. I want you to understand something. When I die, though, I'm going to experience the sting of death. But if I don't die, I won't have to deal with that. I don't want to die. I want to go right to heaven. Rapture me out now. That sounds good to me. Now, some of you young people don't want raptured out. You want to actually live life. I don't... Blame you, really. But you're being very selfish and self-centered. It's all about you. Get to praying and get right with God. No, <laughs> You know, it is a rough one. Isn't it tough when you're young? Man, your preachers are up there telling you you ought to be praying for the return of Christ. And you're thinking, what do you mean, man? I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to do all this stuff. I don't blame you. I thought the same one. Then you get my age and you start thinking, boy, I don't want it to last too much longer. I may not make it anyway. Get back here sooner, Lord. Come on, make it happen. So we learn a few things about this rapture. Then let me just go on to say the rapture will be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. We talked a little bit about this in our services and so forth here recently, but let's look at a few passages. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now again, I I understand, and I'm sure that many of you do too, that Matthew 24 puts us right in the midst of the tribulation. We understand that. Now again, remember I told you that that the second coming, and the Bible teaches us that it comes in two stages. So we're going to see that sometimes when we read passages, doctrine, they put us at the second part. Okay, the, the second stage, doctrinally. But, but understand, too, that there's so many similarities. That's why it's so confusing sometimes as to whether it's referring to the rapture or it's return, or referring to the revelation. Now, in this case, doctrinally, chapter 24 drops right in the tribulation. You say, how do you know that? Well, first of all, in the passage, chapter 24, it says, except ye endure to the end, you shall not be saved. I don't know about you, but I'm saved as saved can be. I don't have to worry about enduring to the end because Jesus endured the cross. So I'm saved. Chapter 24, doctrinally, rightly divide the word of truth, the Bible says, by the way. You divide it properly, it places it in the tribulation. It makes perfect sense. It's perfect. But it's not, if you're living in the church age, where grace through faith is the key and we are already in the body of Christ, part of the bride of Christ, and we're going to be with Christ at the rapture. You may want to be here during that time. I pass. I'll go with God and the Holy Spirit out of here, and I'll just be with him while all this mess is taking place in chapter 24. But nonetheless, notice what happens because, again, we're going to see that this is going to put us right at the end of the tribulation period. However, the passage is referring to the second coming and there's so many characteristics and qualities that apply to the first part as well or that first stage of the second coming. Notice what he says here in Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, chapter 24, verse 42. Now again, remember he says watch therefore. If my mind serves me right, I believe that at some point in the New Testament, we are admonished to be watching. So again, there's similarities between this rapture stage and the revelation stage. And notice he says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man coming. Now, I don't know about you, but although doctrinally that applies directly and doctrinally to the second stage of the second coming, there's no doubt that there's a lot of truth wrapped up there because we've been taught that already in the New Testament in this verse just brings it together very well. Therefore, be also ready in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man coming. You better be ready. You better be watching, right? That's a principle that the Apostle Paul, Peter, and others have taught us, even in the New Testament, directly. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's where it gets a little bit more specific now. We understand that we cannot possibly know the time. We know we ought to be watching and waiting and looking for the return of Christ. We need to be prepared and ready at all, uh, under all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But thankfully, notice what it says. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. He comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now again, he's talking to the brethren in the church at Thessalonica. And we're going to find in Second Thessalonians that he's got to clarify a few things he said here. Because, see, the apostle's talking about the second coming. But what happens is, is that these New Testament saints... They get a little mixed up, and they start to think they had already missed it. And so he's going to come back in 2 Thessalonians, and he's going to remind them then that there's a couple things that have to happen before you are in, uh, that you've missed the, 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 the rapture of the church. First of all, he's going to let them know real quick that if you're still here, then the Holy Spirit's still here, and if the Holy Spirit's still here, then evil's being withheld, and if evil's being withheld, the Antichrist is not being revealed, so therefore, guys, don't worry, gals, don't worry, you haven't missed it. That's what he tells them in 2 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, however, he makes this point he says, But of the times and, of the se- and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now listen, I'm telling you, if you don't get taken out when he comes back, my friend, it ain't going to be peace and safety. Now the first three and a half years, you may think that the Antichrist is doing a pretty bang-up job but I'm telling you, by that second half, you're going to wish you never stuck around. It's going to get uglier than ever. It's going to be bad, real bad. So bad that he goes calling it from tribulation, that don't sound good already, to great tribulation. Turn, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Here we go now. We're in 2 Thessalonians. Remember what I told you about the conflict. These folks were confused. Paul, the apostle now, writing to the church at Thessalonica, is going to try to somehow rein him back in and reassure them that they haven't missed it. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now, he's letting them know, listen, I'm telling you, it's not gonna be a good day for them. But you guys don't have to worry in that regard. You're good to go. It's going to be ugly. Was I in the wrong spot? 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I'm in chapter 1. That's beautiful. That was a good passage. Now, notice as I said. You've got, got to learn how to think on your feet quickly, folks. Yes, too bad everybody was smiling at me. I could tell something was wrong because you looked too nice for a change. <coughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. I knew something didn't sound right, but it sure read well. And it's really true there too, by the way. But anyway, notice what it says. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now again, remember, he is reminding them that they haven't missed the boat. Even in chapter 1, he's saying, now listen, there are those that are not children of God. They are wicked and evil, and it's going to come down on them big time. But in your case, too, remember the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Even though the Antichrist hasn't been revealed, we talked about this in Sunday school class the other day, we see the mystery of iniquity. We see Satan preparing for his Superman Antichrist. And he says, then shall that wicked be revealed after. There's after that he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in you. When he is taken out of the way, evil will be let loose like never before. And then the man of sin, that wicked will be revealed whom the Lord consumed with, will consume, with, shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and some righteousness in them that perish. Why do they perish? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, there's a, there was a huge series out where everybody gets a second chance if you know if you don't trust Christ now, just remember what I'm telling you. I'm taking out you better not take the mark or you're done. You got a second chance though. Well, I'm telling you right now, you better be real careful with that one. You better be careful. I'm telling you, when you're taken out, if you've heard that gospel presentation, my friend, and you've you've been given an opportunity to trust Christ, and you've rejected the Lord Jesus, you ain't getting another chance. It ain't happening. You say, well, prove it. Oh, verse 11, let's go there. That's a good idea. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God's going to cause you to believe the lie. See, you didn't love the truth. That was the problem. You didn't receive the love of the truth. You may have received the truth, but you chose not to love the truth. As a result, you're going to believe the lie then. You didn't believe the truth enough to receive the love of it, but you'll believe the lie enough to take the mark and be in split hell wide open. And God's going to send the delusion For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's scary. I don't know about you, but that's a problem. And that's what I'm saying. It's important that we understand. Yes, you say, well, why why don't we just not tell anybody the gospel then? Let's just not give anybody the truth, and then that way they still have a chance when the rapture comes. What if the rapture don't come? I mean, mean, we're supposed to believe, and even in Paul's day, he said, listen, you do know we're in the last times. Do You do know and realize that this is the last day, that Jesus could return at any time. He said, well, fine, then I'll just let him worry about it. He'll work it all out. No, for thousands of years now, people would be dying and going to hell because nobody's telling them the gospel because we don't want to be responsible for sending them to hell. You're never responsible for sending a person to hell. Never, ever, 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 ever. I don't know about you, but I think personally, it'd be a lot easier to get saved now than it will be in the tribulation period. I think it's a lot easier to trust Christ now and just simply receive and accept Him as your Lord and Savior than to have to endure to the end, according to Matthew 24. Because if you take that mark even two hours, an hour, five seconds before Jesus returns... Too late, you're done. I don't care how godly you were for seven years. You have to endure to the end. You say, well, what about God's grace? Oh, just that you can be saved at all is God's grace. Paul adds an important truth to the equation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, and I hope this isn't supposed to be 2 Corinthians I mean, First Thessalonians. I hope it's not supposed to be uh, 2 Thessalonians, but chapter 5, verse 4, he says, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, again, remember, it's not that Jesus Christ isn't, is going to reveal the day, the time, the hour. That's not what he's getting at. He's not, in, he's not implying that you and I will know when he's coming back. The point is, you know he's coming back, Therefore you're watching and you're waiting and he will not take you like a thief. He'll not come without you knowing. You'll be expecting him. That's the point of the passage. And that's so true for us. See, the Lord's gonna come as a thief. Interestingly enough, he's gonna come as a thief comes then. He does not announce his coming. I don't know about you, but I don't know any thief that knocks on the door and says, do you mind if I steal something? That's not how it works, right? A thief comes for a certain purpose. They usually know exactly what they're looking for, they know exactly what they want. A thief does not take, does not take, um, a thief takes only the, the precious things. You ever notice? A thief doesn't come in usually and take your couch. Yeah, that's that's not how it works usually. He doesn't take everything in the house; he takes the precious things. If you've got ten pictures on your wall, he's only going to take the one of the pastor, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay. If you're not smiling, I know you hate my guts. Oh, you're lucky. I can't see that far with these glasses right now. So anyway, a thief takes, again, the only the precious things. Hey, listen, a thief doesn't come to stay, by the way. He takes only what he came for, and he leaves more than he takes. Well, you know what? That sounds a lot like the Lord when he returns. There'll be a lot of people left behind. He's only coming for certain things. Are you one of them? Mr. Nordahl, he was 42 years of age. He was a a rare criminal indeed. He actually, I guess, if you could look at his life, he would fit the description almost perfectly of what we would call a cat burglar. I mean, he was cagey, he was nimble, he was elusive. He was really picky, too. He targeted homes in some of the nicest neighborhoods in places such as New, the New Jersey Shore or, or Greenwich, Connecticut. He, he took up, I mean, he kind of, he kind of, if you saw cash, he didn't even mess with cash. Money, it, 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 no big deal. He kind of, you know, kind of stuck up like that. What he did, he focused on sterling silver. He took sterling silver. He didn't go looking for money. He didn't care about money. Sterling silver. While a number of burglars are kind of the smash and grab types, this particular cat burglar was precise. He was very meticulous. He was rather short. He was thin. He he, kind of could slither through some of the most narrow openings and windows and doors. He didn't need a big opening at all. He once told this fellow detective. He told a detective Abruzzinini, "How do you like that?" This guy wasn't all American. He was over there in Italy and America. <laughs> he told Abruzzinini, a detective. He said, "I don't even give off a scent. The animals can't even smell me. That might be exaggeration or not. I don't know, but." He broke into a number of homes that had dogs and cats. (laughs) His latest prison term stems from a particular night in January the 29th. It was all the way back in 2002, but he went and he stole from two grand estates. They were just miles apart. They were on the Hudson River, uh, the Wilderstein estate, the former house of a relative of Franklin D. Roosevelt. It's now open to the public, but, and also the Edgewater Estate, owned by a retired Wall Street baron. In each case, in every case, he patiently chiseled off the backdoor panel moldings, and he slipped through the little holes, bypassing other valuables to focus on the fine silverware. He grew up in the Midwest. He joined the Navy, but he'd done most of his work on the East Coast. He started out in the 1980s, and he just stole things like TVs and VCRs, but soon he discovered there was big money in sterling silver. He researched, and he learned what separates so-so silver from $50,000 T-sets. He stole a lot of them. But he got caught. We know that crime doesn't pay. We understand that. But I want you to think for a moment about the Lord Jesus Christ. Nadal, this guy, he was able to go into home after home after home and take exactly what he wanted. I'm telling you that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and when he comes back, he's after only one thing, his bride. And he's not going to get caught by anybody. He's not going to get thrown in prison No, he's going to go back with his bride. There's going to be a marriage feast. He's going to consummate that marriage. He's going to return to earth. And he and us are going to spend a 1,000-year honeymoon together. The rapture. It's going to be a surprise. And it's a number of other things that we don't have time for tonight. So same bat channel. Remember that when you used to watch that stuff? Same bat. Remember that? I can't remember how that all goes. Or we could talk, no, I was going to say the Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all come back now, you hear? But uh, either way. But isn't it amazing to think about the Lord coming back You know, we live in a day when people think, well, he has to come back, man. Look what's going on. I I don't know that he has to do anything, but what I do know is this. We are closer to his return today than we were yesterday. I wonder, when he comes back, will you be that sterling silver or gold that he's looking for? Will he snatch you up? When he comes as a thief? And I know that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? The Lord, a thief? Again, the analogy is what we're trying to focus on and that the Lord's trying to get us to understand. We break it down and we understand. So we look at these thieves and what they, how they function, how they operate. Well, when he comes back, he's looking for nothing but what's most precious, and that's his bride. And that's you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't, he's going to leave you behind and I think we read enough in the book of First 1 Thessalon- First and Second Thessalonians to realize that's not a place we want to be left behind. In God help us to live our Christian lives in a way when he comes we'll not be ashamed either. Help. We're going to talk about that in class this week. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we have together. We just ask, Lord, that you would just work in our lives, that you would encourage us along the way. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and the just the opportunity we have to be, well, to be saved and then to be raptured out as your bride. To ever be with you, to receive that new body, to have an eternal existence in your presence. Thank you for what you do for us. May we never discount your word, but instead, Lord, truly give it its due. Lord, may we live our lives based on the authority of the word of God. And that word tells us you're coming back. Even as you came the first time, you kept your word the first time, you're coming back. We'll thank you, we'll praise you. Help us to be ready when you come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music plays.